0: something I've tried to really hone in this role as I've grown and learned with the company is just how do I continue to get better at this and how do I yeah, bring an analytical mindset but never lose touch with the fact that we all relate to the world not through stats not through data but through stories right and and so the best quote or our stat or infographic thing doesn't matter if it's not linked together with the compelling kind of connective tissue of a good story.
1: From Cheese House, this is Creative First, the show about the spark of creative leaders and how they discovered their passions, what inspires their work ethic, and the journey of getting paid to do what they love the most. I'm your host, Kelsey Cochran, and this week our guest is Riley Brock, the Associate Creative Director at Imperfect Foods. Riley has dedicated his career to bringing the company's brand story to life and spreading it across multiple online channels to a variety of different audiences, um, his lead he is their lead storyteller and does an incredible job of making sure that Imperfect Foods' image is consistent and effective across all of those channels. He is passionate about the sustainability of Imperfect Foods and is so knowledgeable on how to blend creative approaches with hard facts and make them easily digestible for a consumer. It's a type of creativity we don't always consider, but I'm really excited for you guys to hear how he's accomplished success in his job. So let's get into it.
0: Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Yeah, I so for anyone who, um, any of our listeners who aren't necessarily familiar with Imperfect Foods, they're a really awesome company. They are a, gr- a grocery delivery service that takes food items that didn't make the super like strict cut for the grocery aisles and then sends them directly to people's doors to be eaten, you know, just the same way. Um, like these foods could have had. The slightest differences like cosmetic appearance wise, maybe, you know, the expiration date was approaching too soon for the grocery stores um, cut off. Maybe there was an undesired piece of fruit or a vegetable, or maybe it was just not needed in the grocery due to surplus. And there's multiple other reasons. But I, I love your guys' company because you guys are truly working toward eliminating food waste in this country and showing consumers that, you know, like an almond doesn't have to look like all the almonds in the commercials to be edible and have the same nutritional value and like prove that our standard of food is really incredibly high when it doesn't need to be. So that's awesome.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Really appreciate that.
1: So I want to dive first into like kind of your vision as a creative, because, you know, as your title says, like you are... A creative director, the associate creative director at this company. Um, so your job entails, you know, a lot of hands-on creative thinking as well as creative problem solving. And so, walk me through kind of how you have discovered your own unique creativity.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a good question. You know, I consider myself a storyteller first and foremost, and so all of the how and the mechanics of how we do that at Imperfect all kind of uh, ladder down from the need to tell a compelling story. And uh, accurate and um, you know effectual story, effective story about our food system, right? Because. Our founders learned early on, and this is not a surprise probably to any of your listeners, uh, our food system has some big problems when it comes to waste, when it comes to its impact on climate change, when it comes to equity across racial and economic lines. We've got a lot of work to do, right? We all know that as consumers. And I think, Mm -hmm. especially in this moment, in the the 2010s and 2020 and beyond, we're kind of drowning in somewhat depressing literature and podcasts and Netflix specials about how messed up our world is, right? So- The, the challenge as a creative working for a mission-driven company is not quite to tell people how bad the world is. Obviously, that's you know, part of your your origin is in solving these problems, but people don't need to be reminded of that. They know. And also, that's not a very impactful or inspiring way to actually get people to take action, whether that action is becoming a customer or even just caring about food and food waste in a new way. So, the challenge for us and for me is has always been, how do we take these big complex kind of overwhelming topics like food waste and climate change and Mm -hmm. crop rotation and where is what is grown where and when and what are the challenges to growing lettuce versus cauliflower versus broccoli how do we take these really complex things and distill them into basic terms that people can relate to on a human level understand and really feel inspired by to take action on, right? So yeah. I see myself, you know, obviously as a storyteller, And I think another kind of part of my voice and role I've really tried to define is uh, a translator, right? Because I, okay. I see myself as trying to translate these big economic, agricultural, or environmental concepts into, again, terms that the average person reading who might not have a background in this can still get relate to and care about right so you've got to find a way to bridge that gap between different interest groups and different audiences but I think also do so in an inspiring uh, empathetic and compelling way right it's not an, quite enough to just share what's going on on the farm you have to make it in some way informative educational inspiring you know one of our our, our key mantras at imperfect is you know educate and entertain, right? Like our content should be in some way delightful. It should be serious, but also delightful. And it's that kind of tension that kind of keeps us in balance. And in my role really helps stuff bridge the gap between, between different worlds. And so, yeah, I think for a mission driven company like ours, especially it's, it always comes back to that for me is, is bridging worlds and getting information that is very complex and overwhelming to a point where you can share it without shaving off the important nuance because that's always a tricky thing and I think brands can run into trouble with that is uh-huh. if you oversimplify an economic concept or an environmental concept past the point at which it loses its authenticity and its meaning people Ooh. will call you on that and they'll point that out and that can come back to bite you in terms of like a PR nightmare right so especially yeah. when we are talking about the environment and people's livelihoods you got to tread very carefully and we really try to and imperfect too, you know, distill things down into terms people can understand, but don't oversimplify, don't condescend, and always bring this kind of curious mindset to it where nuance is as important as, let's say, a, a splashy infographic.
1: Yeah, no, and it's interesting that you say that you seem like someone who is quite analytical, really, when you're thinking about how do I take these hard facts and maybe something that's a little bit above someone's realm of knowledge or what they can in- and understand, and make it into a easily digestible and easily understandable concept. So when did you realize that you could really use your own creative style to benefit a brand like this who has to bridge that gap between these hard facts that are high level and the consumers that you're going to be selling to?
0: Yeah, you know, in all honesty, it was in the application process for this role at Imperfect. I think it was, I, I had been working in food before this. I had been in restaurant kitchens doing event planning. And it was really in interviewing for this role where I like kind of went on in my head and I realized I could be that role. I could be that bridge because I had a background in food, but had, you know, a long passion for food communications. Yeah, I was a sociology major in college, but I did my senior thesis all about kind of a social theory of junk food. So this idea of how do we create a bridge between a really complicated overwhelming topic like junk food and obesity and mm-hmm. make it kind of compelling and distilled into like actionable terms like that's always been something i've enjoyed is is that you know, rhetorical challenge so it was really and honestly i remember like in the in person interviews for this role that was kind of part of my pitch was i think yeah. i can help you bridge this gap and and i think you need someone to help you bridge this gap because frankly in this day and age you know delivering An awesome thing to your door is great, but if you're driving a mission-driven brand, especially a mission-driven brand in food, you need to be really, I'd I'd say, over-informed in terms of the issues because food issues are always changing, food issues are really complex, and also if you're going to make a compelling case for how your company's helping fight food waste and also how your consumers can help address food waste even after they've gotten their uh, products from you, you need to know the issues backwards and forwards, or at least you know try your best every day to do so. Um, so that was that was very much part of my pitch, and kind of something I've tried to really hone in this role as I've grown and learned with the company is just how do I continue to get better at this, and how do I, yeah, bring an analytical mindset, but never lose touch with the fact that we all relate to the world not through stats, not through data, yeah. but through stories, right? And and exactly. so the best quote or our stat or infographic thing doesn't matter if it's not linked together with the compelling kind of connective tissue of a good story.
1: I can tell like just from how you've answered these first two questions, like you have this deep understanding of how people connect with what they eat like and how people connect with food. And again, it kind of goes towards your background of you worked in the restaurant industry before you even applied at perfect. So this has kind of been something that you have been involved with or been surrounded by for maybe a majority of your um, life in the professional world. So when you go to work at Imperfect, where do you pull your inspiration from? Are you pulling it from background knowledge and being in the restaurant industry or do you pull inspiration from other parts of the world to apply to like your day-to-day at Imperfect?
0: Yeah, that's a really lovely question. I think the honest answer is I try to pull it from everywhere. I don't always do so successfully, but I think a good creative is fundamentally curious you know they say great writers are avid readers great musicians listen to a lot of music and i've always really believed that creatively so for me for example a good idea for a creative concept it could come from our customers right we often will do outreach to customers via instagram stories we'll ask them hey what ingredients are you struggling with this week or what questions do you have about cooking plant based proteins for example and they'll you know, share their honest struggles in the kitchen with us, which is I think one of the beauties of social media in this day and age. It's a two-way street, right? And so sometimes it's their pain points or ideas or frustrations that spur content. So, you know, we did a whole series around cooking with plant-based proteins where it was inspiring for me to just see, okay, what are people running into? A common one was people have no idea how to make tofu taste good. So then I got to do like, I got to nerd out on plant-based proteins for an hour or so. And just, I did some research. How do you marinate tofu better? How do you make it taste good? What are the differences between the different types of tofu? You know, so sometimes it's from uh, our customers and our community about just listening to them and hearing where they're at. Sometimes it's from a coworker. You You know, sometimes someone will slack an idea like, hey, I saw this funny meme. Can we adapt it? And it's not, you know, we can't always act on kind of random ideas, but sometimes it's the random ideas that are the best because they shake you up out of your, you know, your to-do list mindset and really encourage you to think kind of more laterally and more creatively about where is just the general public at? Is there a funny or interesting thing going on in the news or pop culture that we could kind of chime in on in an authentic way? You know, sometimes it's from stuff I've read or seen in my own life, like outside of work, um, a, a group of us at work just watched this documentary, *Kiss the Ground*. Have you seen that?
1: I haven't. No, what's it about?
0: Oh, it's so good. It's about soil health. It's narrated by Woody Harrelson. And it's a, it's a tidy hour and a half documentary, all about how we need to do a better job protecting the soil. And so, honestly, this is an example of something really recently where I saw this. You know, in part through work, a coworker said, "Hey, we all should watch this." But I'm now just, my gears are going about how can we incorporate this at work and also in my personal life? Like how can I be a better advocate for soil health, which is not something that's part of my KPIs at Imperfect, but it's related to food and it's important. And at this point, you know, our brand is big enough where we have a, a, a pretty big audience, especially on social media through a newsletter. And so we're at a point where we're really trying to use that power with real respect and responsibility because it's not a small audience anymore so if we try to take a stand about something like voting rights or soil health or racism uh, people are listening right so that's another area where it just might be an idea that I'm thinking about in my personal life that I'll, I'll try to find a way to incorporate at work or like you know maybe I'll discover a recipe on on the weekend that I'm like this is great the imperfect community would benefit from this you know I try to keep an ear to the ground at all times and just kind of always be looking out for like how can we, how can we do better? And, and what are kind of the food concepts that are most relevant at this moment?
1: Yeah, no, that's awesome. And this trans like transitions perfectly into kind of the next like topic I wanted to go into, because you talked about DMing your, you know, consumers on social media, and then also pulling inspiration from your coworkers. So in your role, you are constantly collaborating and working with other creative people at imperfect. And then people that are utilizing your guys' company. So before becoming a creative director, you were a content manager actually at Imperfect Foods, which basically meant you were directly building the brand voice to be spread across the social and email and all facets of the internet, really. So how much did you rely on the minds of other creative people to help you build the brand voice in that role?
0: Yeah, a a lot, honestly. I think... I think no creative can do it alone. I think the the best example is, you know, we're still a pretty small and scrappy team, but, you know, flashing back to when I was content manager and before we were incredibly small, like we didn't have a graphic designer until like halfway through my tenure at the company, uh, which you know, yeah. I think anyone who works in a creative team will say, you need a graphic designer like <laughs> immediately to do digital marketing. Yeah, no <laughs> But kidding. I mean, we, we didn't have a full-time photographer until a couple years into the company as well. So it, it took oh. us a while to kind of figure out how to fill all the roles that needed to be filled. And, and also realize that you know creative stuff requires a lot of investment right of time of money of research so
1: much yeah
0: you know so flashing back to earlier stages of the company it always was super dynamic even when it was just me and our copywriter or me and the photographer or the three of us working together it was always a give and take and it had to be right because an example is we were doing content uh, like what, two Thanksgivings ago? No, last Thanksgiving about what to do with your leftovers. And we had kind of a Venn diagram. I had this concept, we should do a Venn diagram of like, what if you have mashed potatoes? What if you have like leftover Turkey? What if you have leftover roasted veggies? And it was kind of different ways you could inter- intertwine them to make fun new dishes. I'm not a designer. So me having that idea is not enough to get across the finish line. So I had to, I literally, this is like maybe embarrassing or maybe an evidence, uh, example of scrappy work, but I literally drew it out on like a piece of paper with a pen, took a photo of it with my phone and then slacked it to our graphic designer, Angie, who said, okay, yeah, I can mock that up in Illustrator and make it look pretty. And so we it's a it's very it was always very symbiotic and I, you know now we have a team of designers, which is amazing you know I have a copywriter I work with, so I'm not like doing all of the writing anymore mm. but i'd say it's now it's just a little bit more it's a little bit more elaborate whereas you, it used to be just really basic like one to one collaboration whereas now it's like maybe three or four of us will work on a project instead of two of us but it's always it's, it's always had to be super kind of round table work because no one of us kind of has all the pieces you know
1: yeah so would you say that it has become more collaborative just because the company has grown or also it has become more collaborative for you because your position has changed to like associate creative director versus content manager
0: i'd say both uh the, you know the company has grown so we're trying to do more ambitious stuff like you know just more different types of ads as a really basic example, but even uh, do more video content. Or we've, we did a couple of things with kind of celebrity chefs recently. We had Kwame and Wache on to do some cooking tips. Uh, we had Joel Gameron give some kind of basic tips for how to kind of make the most out of what you're getting in your order every week from us. And working with a chef and working with video content are both you know levels of complexity up from just doing a recipe or an infographic or a blog post. So as our goals have become more ambitious, I think the work has had to become Mm -hmm. more collaborative and then I I think also just yeah as the company has grown things that used to involve one person making one decision are now you know involve five people making 20 decisions and that's that's natural right that's anyone who's been part of a growing organization has seen that in some way
1: for a growing company like yourself and like you you said like you have grown a lot but you you are a little bit still scrappy you know at work sometimes so what mode of content do you guys rely on the heaviest like would you say it's video is it photo is it graphic infographics blogs uh, what do you guys lean really heavily into
0: yeah that's a good question i you know i think it's historically been defined by what we have the resources to do ideally i would like it to be video you know if i were to give you the kind of like like ted talk answer it would be oh we do the most video because that's where the most eyeballs are that's where the kpis are that's where all the things are it's not quite video yet, just because video, like I said, is expensive and complicated to put together. We're working to do more of it. But you know, historically, it's honestly been a lot more of like, static images on social, like image and copy kind of tandems, Instagram stories. We do a lot of work with them uh, and even just blog posts. And I think also blog posts as the nucleus for content that we then repurpose elsewhere. So if we do a long form take on something on our blog, then we'll do bite-sized takes on a, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Instagram stories, You know, maybe make a Pinterest pin out of it if it's got some infographic component. Um, so yeah, I mean, ideally, I think looking towards the future, it will and I hope should be a video just because, you know, all, all evidence shows that people like videos. Anytime we've done video, people get very excited. But, you know, in full candor, we're not quite there yet. I think like a lot of companies, we've realized that video is just a big thing to bite off. And it's really okay. fun, but it's also kind of stressful. You know, it's, it takes months to put together as opposed to weeks or days. There's a lot of people involved. Budgets get big very quickly, especially if you're working with an external agency. Not to say anything of in 2020, shooting a video is complicated. You have to get a bunch of people together in an enclosed space and figure out all the COVID logistics of it all. I mean. Yeah, our our uh, photographer Irene on our team does photo and video and a bunch of amazing design stuff for us. And basically, I just have so much respect for what she's doing right now because she's doing mm-hmm. all of the above and navigating it in COVID, right? So yeah. her work as a creative has gotten exponentially more complicated this year. And and she's rising to the challenge, which is amazing. But I, I think it is just a reminder that this stuff was never simple and it's only it's only gotten crazier this year, you know?
1: Yeah, no, exactly. And Do you think that in an emerging brand, it is more beneficial to, instead of creating a large budget to put towards video, do you think it's more beneficial to have someone who can kind of be off the cuff and can run with ideas that spark really sporadically just to produce more content at a rapid pace?
0: Yeah, I think for an emerging brand, you you need to be heard in whatever form you can be heard. I think, you know, and from my experience at Imperfect, yeah, early on, what we were doing was not terribly polished. Looking back on it, not all of it was great. I mean, I'm speaking really to the stuff I just kind of solo-capped in, like when I was Mm -hmm. shooting all the photos and writing the copy and trying to send the emails, like it wasn't always my best work because it was that startup mode of kind of putting out fires and wearing a bunch of hats. But what we did well, I think, was Be Heard develop an iconic voice early and do what we could. You know, what, Even though we couldn't do a ton of videos on Instagram, we were still posting regularly enough that our audience and our community knew about us. And so we built up a, enough of a buzz that when we expanded to a new market, people would then chime in, okay, but when are you coming to Miami? Or when are you coming to Indianapolis? Yeah. You know, There was always that demand for more because we started to develop enough buzz and word of mouth. So I think As a creative at a new or growing brand, that's your job. Just get the the buzz going, make your voice known, work to define it. I think early, I think the more definition and shape you can put around your brand and your personality as a brand, I think that's really important because especially as a newer brand, one of your biggest challenges is just to differentiate yourself. And yeah, to be nice. co- coherently understood, you know, by by the public. And why why should I care, right? Like even even on Instagram, where there's a ton of eyeballs these days, people are scrolling at a mile a minute. So it's it can be hard to get people to slow down and pay attention. And especially if you're new, you know, who is this new new brand I'm seeing in my feed? And why should I care about what they're doing? So I think yeah, you really gotta gotta get out there in terms of volume and just be heard where you can be heard. And then I think also do do the legwork. I think before you put a ton of money into a, a thing like video or a new platform. Do the legwork to really understand and define your brand as best you can because the public responds well to certainty and they don't like kind of vagueness or kind of generic brands these days.
1: Yeah, I think they respond well to like consistency too. Like Yeah. They can- look at the posts and recognize, oh, that's imperfect foods. I know it because it's these colors and it's these designs. And that kind of leads me to my next question. I know um, we've talked about just like through email that you do pull a lot of um, like your motivation and your inspiration from your company itself, just because of your guys' values and just the type of brand that you are and the ways that you're trying to make the world a little bit better. But when you were going toward developing your brand style and your brand look, what sort of artists or what sort of Styles were you kind of pulling from outside that already existed that you were like, I can adapt this and I can make it perfect for imperfect?
0: That's a really good question. I really wish we had a couple of our designers on this podcast because I think they (laughs) could answer that, frankly, better than I could. Um, I can't speak honestly that authoritatively to the design side. Like in terms of a form that I looked at a lot, I think Mm -hmm. in this day and age, like an infographic has just such a beautiful quality to it that. I, anytime I saw a company put out a compelling infographic, or even just like an environmental organization put out a compelling infographic about like ocean plastics or something, I would always try to note that, learn that, share that with uh, my colleagues at Imperfect. Because I think for me, that, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. It's cliche, but it's true. And I think an infographic does such a nice job about bridging those worlds of art and copy. So I definitely paid a lot of attention to to infographics. I think I would always try to look at Um, food media like Bon Appetit um, who would do stuff that was beyond recipes because I think we're all drowning in recipes but people need techniques they need advice on cooking fundamentals so anytime I saw like a post on Bon App or especially Food52 where they were really breaking it down to like let's just understand this method this let's understand sauteing let's understand knife work let's decipher fact from fiction when it comes to what type of pans you need like that type of stuff where it was very kind of action oriented and very, very truth based, you know, about cutting through the the clutter really. Cause I think in content, but especially cooking content, there's, there's just too much of, not too much like in a bad way, but there's too much for any of our brains to process. So the challenge these days I think is almost like knowledge curation. So I was always looking out for, and still I'm looking out for anything that, distills all of that down in a really awesome way. So even like if a YouTuber like Josh, Josh Weissman, who we we had on our podcast, I think he's a great example of how do you take literally intimidating and overwhelming concepts like how to sharpen your knife, how to make sourdough bread, how to ferment vegetables. How do you take all that and make it, break it into those fundamentals with your own you know, pizzazz and flair, but also share it in a really delightful way that people will understand and hopefully know how to sharpen their knives and make sourdough bread and ferment vegetables.
1: Those are my favorite types of like tips, whether they're a video or a blog or infographic that's teaching me because recipes, like you were saying, like there are so many and I could make every recipe I've ever saved on my Pinterest board and it would never look how it does because the the practicality of sauteing or yeah, making bread, like that is something I need to learn personally. That's just me. I'll I'll get better at it. But but you were talking about the things that you would look at because you know that they are challenges for this industry. So that leads me a little bit to like kind of the difficulties that come with managing such an emerging brand, like imperfect foods. And I want to go back to the fact that the food that you guys ship to people is sometimes, a little funky or a little odd shaped and might not look the most presentable compared to the grocery store. So what challenges do you have when it comes to literally the appearance of the food when you're trying to think of creative content to make to show it off?
0: I would say we actually have the opposite of a challenge. It's actually a downhill battle. When when we presented to them the Mm -hmm. idea that, hey, there's this stuff that looks a little bit different and it used to go to waste or get left in the field or go undervalued, but now we're, you know, enjoying it and celebrating it for what it is. That's a really delightful kind of humanizing redemption story that people relate to pretty instantly. And I think what's going in our favor also is in terms of the visuals, like anyone who's ever grown their own food in a garden or had a lemon tree, for example, knows that not everything that comes out of the ground looks the same. That's normal. That's Delightful. That's to be expected and to be celebrated, that diversity of shapes and colors and experiences. So it's not actually that absurd that we're offering this stuff. What's actually more absurd is zooming out and looking at how did we get to this point where supermarkets only sold the pristine stuff that was all one size, one shape, one color. And so, when we're able to show people that kind of through line, it's actually pretty easy. You know, yeah, we have to do a little bit of work to kind of package the information and, and share mm-hmm. a bit of the nuance of how agriculture got to this point. But I think, on a really visceral level, everyone gets this. You know, if you've yeah. ever, again, if you've ever grown something, you know what real food looks like. And then, you know, the way we try to tie it up in a bow for people is it's really not the food that's imperfect, it's our food system. Right. And when we're yeah. able to flip it that way, people get it. It's like, oh, wow it is ludicrous that we're making it so hard for farmers to sell everything they grow at the top price you know why is it that certain carrots are table grade and certain are only good for juicing and certain are only good for animal feed and you know what it's just it's arbitrary it's unnecessary and and I think to show people again, even on an economic level, this is really just about reducing friction and and mm-hmm. creating outlets for stuff that used to not have an outlet or have a bad outlet uh, and once we put it that way again it's it's a downhill fight we've definitely seen stuff like, well no, this food is, is terrible, it must be gMO because it yeah. looks different it must be it's nuclear food, it's radioactive. you know people have all sorts of off the wall takes on it every now and then. Um, there was this weird but understandable backlash part way through where people said. Oh, it's it's kind of, it's untrue that this stuff used to go to waste. All of it used to just go to processed food or salsa, which is kind of like there's a kernel of truth in that, but the the whole is untrue. You know, basically, yeah. it is correct that if you're growing ugly tomatoes, you can sell them to salsa. It is it is possible to sell them to salsa manufacturers. However, a couple of things not all produce has a processing market like eggplant does not have a processing market to my knowledge you know if you're growing uh, butternut squash you might be able to sell it to be soup but if you're growing acorn squash or spaghetti squash like there's not a juice market for that there's not a soup market for that and then the other thing is and this is somehow always left out of this weird comments debate is selling to processed food uh, often is break even or actually at a loss so if you as a grower let's say you're growing carrots if you If your carrots are too wonky to sell to the fresh market, let's say to Whole Foods or Safeway or Albertsons, and you have to sell them to become carrot soup or baby carrots, one, you have to have enough, like, truckloads of carrots for it to be worth the time and the money to transport them. And then once you can sell them, you might make 30% of what you'd make selling to the fresh market. So that's it's crazy. not up. It's, it's literally not apples to apples when it comes to pricing. And so there's, there's some, as I said earlier, there's some nuance that sometimes gets shaved out of these debates. And I think every now and then we'll get pushed back of like, basically people internalize our message as all ugly or different food used to go to waste. And now because of us, none of it's going to waste. That is not true. And I will like on this podcast say, if a company says that they're lying, like they're exaggerating. Yeah. And that that's an overly simplistic tale. However, the inverse is also untrue. It is not true that all ugly food, used to go to processed food. And then these, you know, charlatan companies came along, made up a story and, and but they're not really saving anything. It's very much in the middle. Some of it used to go to waste. Some of it used to get left in the field. Some of it used to go to animal feed, processed food, whatever. But yeah. the reality is a lot more of it is going to better outcomes now. If you look at the EPA's food recovery hierarchy, a lot of it's going to, you know, higher outcomes up the chain uh, than they used to go to before. But again, I'm mean, sorry if that's kind of a tangent, but I, th- I think little <laughs> t- I think ag-, ag tangents like that are important because, you know, as someone who works in content, the stuff we just talked about is not always distillable down into like a tweet or an Instagram yeah, post. So exactly. whenever I have a chance, I think it's important to, to throw it out there as part of the discourse.
1: Well, that's good. And I'm, and I think honestly, like as our society progresses, more people will become fans, really, of companies like yourself that are utilizing ways to eliminate food waste because it is such an issue and no one acknowledged it for the longest time. So that kind of brings me to talk about your guys' expansion as a company. How do you think, you know, you can kind of boast about your own work for sure in this question. How do you think that your creativity and your team's content that you guys produce really impacts the expansion of Imperfect Foods?
0: I think the role that the creative team has is, I mean, one to define and share what the brand is. You know, I think no amount of operational excellence or product, you know, top of the line product stuff matters if people don't know who you are, what you stand for and why it matters. So, you know, we've definitely helped shape that. Um, I also think, you know, we've, we've been a real force, again, this kind of bridge for other teams to help bring their vision to life. So if our lifecycle marketing team has an idea for how to win back uh, customers, for example, people that churned we'll come in and work with them together. And I think that collaboration is integral for the company to grow. And it's a two-way collaboration. We rely on them as much as they rely on us. But the creative side matters, again, because it's how we we take somebody else's vision and bring it out into uh, terms and images and data that the the world can see and respond to. So I think, you know, yeah, we're, we're one a way to just create a personality that people want to hang out with, right? Like a, yeah. food is so much about trust. Um, and I think- Relating to any brand is about trust, but I think especially with food where you're relying on us to get you your groceries, if you don't understand this person, this brand, this entity, and trust them and respect them, why would you get your food from them? So for us, being able to create that foundation of trust has been huge. And then again, to bring other teams' vision to life, whether that's lifecycle marketing, whether that's product, whether that's customer care, just helping other teams be a bit more creative and have their uh, ideas kind of fleshed it out to the best of our ability, I think you know that helps like a company can 't grow without that
1: mm-hmm. well, I will say that I have seen imperfect Foods before I even was following on social media. I saw your guys posts and it was very inviting, so kudos to you know the the look that you guys have created there. It was very welcoming, it was very nicely laid out where I did not feel intimidated by the brand. And like, it seemed very simplistic, but like you were talking about earlier, it's not, you're not oversimplifying it. So lastly, you guys also have a podcast and guys, you can't see his microphone, but it is (laughs) like the next step up of mine. He is where I'm striving to be next. (laughs) So you guys have a podcast as well. It's called Unwasted and you talk about sustainability, shopping smart when you do go to the grocery stores, you know, plastic reduction. Uh, a multitude of topics. Um, How has your guys' podcast added on to the content creation of your brand or how has it affected your brand?
0: Yeah, I I think it's it's enabled us to just think a bit bigger, both in terms of higher up the funnel of, you know, a podcast is obviously not a direct response tool. We're not doing it to get people to sign up. We're really doing it, one, to inform and entertain our current customer base about issues we think they care about, but also just to be a force out there in the world for a better, healthier, tastier food system. So even if you're not a customer, even if you may never want to be one, you might still learn something from us and we think that's just good for the world and good for the food system. I think in terms of our content, it's again just allowed us to diversify a bit and go places we might not have been able to go just internally as a grocery delivery company. So this year we've had a lot of guests on who have helped us uh, tackle and explore issues of racial justice in a way that we've never been able to do before, which has been huge, uh, both in terms of amplifying uh, Black uh, voices, but also in terms of almost yielding the spotlight so somebody else can explain something better than we can. So you know, we had Princess Haley on from Appetite for Change. Mm-hmm. It's a nonprofit in Minnesota that deals with food access. And she was able to speak really compellingly to what it's like on the ground in Minnesota right now as they're dealing with a racial reckoning as is the whole US. And that's, that's not something I could have done on my own at all, much less as well and articulately as she did. Uh, or we had Ron Finley on to talk about community gardening and his work in South LA and his community to grow food and the power of growing food where you live. Uh, we've also been able to talk about other types of waste. And we've had guests on that have talked about waste in the plastic industry. We've had guests on the talk about ocean plastic. So it's just enabled us to use a broader lens and also just tackle subject matters that are out of our wheelhouse, but adjacent to it, if that makes sense. It's just, again, to your earlier question of where do you get inspiration from, to me, one of the best things about our podcast is it's just another channel of inspiration. Like we've had podcast guests who have totally shaped our content strategy in a really positive way. Like we had Dana Gunders on, who's this food race researcher. And she was telling me this thing about how there's this huge misconception that uh, old food makes you sick when in reality it's contaminated food that makes you sick. But this disconnect causes a lot of preventable waste because when folks at home see something that's past its expiration date, they chuck it kind of defensively out of fear. When they don't realize that moldy cheese or let's say a kind of soggy apple, they might taste gross. They might even give you a stomach ache or a little bit of digestive trouble. They're not gonna give you a serious illness. When you get E. coli or salmonella, our listeria that's from contamination that's from you know animal feces ending up on food in the packing process or the sorting process or something being held at the inappropriate temperature for too long you know what they call the danger zone in food safety so she brought the, up this distinction which caused us to do a whole campaign this fast, past February called true love doesn't expire or stop dating your food which was all about rethinking expiration dates in a playful but empowering way and and showing people that look we need to think critically about these things and we need to have kind of a better understanding of the actual risks versus perceived risks in our kitchen. And again, that's a conversation we never would have had if we hadn't had this guest on to share some expertise that we didn't possess internally. So it's just been such a, a godsend and a blessing, I think in that way, just getting different voices out there and really just diversifying what we're able to think and talk about as a brand.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I I do really like how diverse it is because like you were saying, ocean plastic might not be exactly in your realm, but it is very adjacent to, you know, thinking about things that aren't necessarily something that you see every single day, like food waste. You probably wouldn't think twice. Some people probably wouldn't think twice about throwing out an expired apple or an expired cucumber you know like it is important just as important as ocean plastic is so uh, that's really awesome um this has been great thank you so much for coming on here i've learned a lot i know that our listeners are going to learn a lot not only about your guys's brand but also what comes along with bringing creativity into a brand like this especially one that is is emerging and it is really awesome and i love what you guys are doing so thank you so much
0: Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. It's been a super fun conversation and I hope, hope folks enjoyed it.
1: Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that wraps it up. Um, I hope you guys learned a lot. If you would like to get signed up with Imperfect Foods, please check them out. It is such a good cause and I, I really encourage it. So thank you again for coming and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week.